welcome back to the Catacomb Synod Basics, where we discuss the distinctives of the Catacomb Synod network of house churches. What separates us from other Lutheran bodies? Why are we doing this as a house church thing to begin with? And why have we embraced the pietist label? We've been going through the Pia Desideria by Spanner, who was a theologian in the 17th century, widely considered to be the father of pietism. And as we've been going through the corrupt conditions that he saw in the church, and drawing that straight line to the corrupt conditions we see in our church, I don't want to spend too much more time on corrupt conditions. At this point, we understand it. We went through the Augsburg Confession and saw that much of the same complaints that the Lutheran reformers were making about Rome back then in the early 1500s, you can say that the same abuses are being perpetuated by Lutheran churches today, and that is a shameful thing. But we've spent several weeks now discussing this, and it is time to move on to a more positive vision for Christians everywhere. But that said, there are some closing matters for today that we want to bring up in Spanner's Conspectus of Corrupt Conditions that help give us a path forward. For a long time, it seems that the Lutheran Church has not been doing theology. We've been learning theology, but a lot of modern theologians, well, call me arrogant, but as I read them, it seems that their modus operandi is to say, well, this guy says this, but this other guy says that, and I'm inclined to agree with the other guy for X, Y, or Z reason. That's not going through the scriptures and finding out what they teach us that is not synthesizing biblical dogmatic statements into a comprehensible whole. Uh, in the deacon chat last night, as we were going over some of these passages from this book, one of the deacons asked a very pertinent question. We all have the same Bible. Why are there so many different Protestant denominations? And how come there's the Baptists, there's the Adventists, and later on, using the same Bible, we get cults? What caused all this? Well, first and foremost, sola scriptura denominations have largely forgotten the place of the magisterium. Ephesians chapter 4 establishes a teaching office for the church. God inspires teachers to go through his word and teach what it says. Now, obviously, they are not divinely inspired so as to be infallible. The Bible is the only promised infallible rule and measure of faith. It is the only source of doctrine. So anybody that is a teacher should be judged according to what scripture says plainly. But We've had a teaching magisterium now for over 2,000 years. We'd better look at what they teach and see if maybe we have forgotten some things that we ought to be teaching. One of these is the doctrine of vocation. I asked the deacons last night, 
the ones who still go to a church in addition to maintaining a house church, when was the last time your pastor brought up the doctrine of vocation? And based on that conversation, how would you define it? We had one, I repeat, one in this deacon chat whose pastor had brought it up in private conversation with him only. It wasn't preached. It wasn't taught in Sunday school. And that's a darn shame. A big part of the tragedy of this triumph of scholasticism is you have so many Lutheran theologians that are willing to talk about what the old theologians said and compare what one guy was saying to what another guy was saying, but then they hesitate to actually teach what these theologians were teaching. So we get this bit from Spener here that touches on the doctrine of vocation. If we look at trade, the crafts, and other occupations through which men seek to earn their living, we shall find that everything is not arranged according to the precepts of Christ, but rather that not a few public regulations and traditional usages in these occupations are diametrically opposed to them. Where is there anybody who remembers that not only his own support and gain, to which almost all attention is directed, but also the glory of his God and the welfare of his neighbor should be the object of all that he does in his station in life. Thus it happens that it is not accounted a sin to employ tricks which do not have an evil reputation in the world, but are rather praised as shrewd and circumspect measures, even if they are burdensome to our neighbors, and indeed oppress and impoverish them. The very ones who mean to be the best Christians have no scruples about such tricks. Wretched custom has obscured the precepts of Christianity to such an extent that we think it absurd when in a given instance somebody practices what is acknowledged by all, namely that we should love our neighbor as ourselves, although the force of these words is little pondered. Colossians 2, verses 23 and 24 say, Whatever you do, do heartily as unto the Lord, and there is reward and inheritance promised there. We receive the true wages in our vocation from God. We receive wonderful things from him, blessings now and in the hereafter. That is the doctrine of vocation, that what you do as a Christian, your duties, your employment, your relationships with other people, that is your ministry. This is where we get the notion of a Protestant work ethic, because if your work, your job, your career is your ministry, if this is how you love your neighbor, then you should do it with gusto. You should do it as unto the Lord, as St. Paul says. Be happy in your station in life because God has put you there. This is something we have forgotten because in our reductionistic way of preaching law and gospel for the past 150 years, where it is just emotional manipulation, make them feel bad and then make them feel relieved, every sermon being the same, you suck but God loves you anyway, I guess, 
we have forgotten the immense blessing that comes from doctrines like vocation. If you ever look at the Bible and you read about God's responses to things, especially in the Old Testament prophets, it is easy to come away with the feeling that God is not a happy camper, that he is always disappointed and enraged at human activity. And if you take that too far, you can come under the impression that God is always mad at you. But when we have the doctrine of vocation where your Christian service is something you do every single day, when you teach your children, when you give your wife a foot rub after she's been on her feet all day, when you are good at customer relations and you do your job right, you are serving the Lord. You are pleasing God. This God that seems unpleasable as the law witnesses to us about our failures, once the gospel tells us, no, on account of the blood of Christ you are accepted, the requirements of the law have been fulfilled by his life, death, and resurrection, suddenly now, your vocation, your job, your career, everything you do pleases God. He rejoices to see it. God likes you. He doesn't just love you, he also likes you. This is a wonderful thing. And if we go about ignoring theology in our sermons, ignoring biblical doctrine as it comes to us in the lectionary, thinking that we've got it all figured out, if we just look for the verse that sounds most law-ish, and then we look for the part in the pericope that sounds most gospel-ish, and then we say, uh, now the peace of God that transcends all understanding guards our hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. We are preventing our congregations from being blessed by God's word. Especially because the New Testament is just positively dripping with the third use of the law. It is ready to burst with the doctrine of vocation. That all of the vanity that King Solomon saw as he writes Ecclesiastes changes. Certainly, in a worldly sense, everything is meaningless, as Solomon complains, but we are no longer under the doldrums of the spiritual fog that Solomon was under. We can say that, yes, coramundo, a lot of this stuff is meaningless because I understand that I'm going to have to give up this mortal coil and then go on to my eternal fate. But when you consider that going about your job, your career, your vocation, and your relationships as your ministry pleases God, well, Coram Deo, everything matters. Nothing is emptiness. Nothing is vanity. Everything matters. Now, if I was to be a little conspiratorial, I would say that the new clericalism, the new sacerdotalism that plagues Lutheranism today, intentionally undermines the doctrine of vocation because they don't want the laity to be empowered. They don't want Deacon Joe slowly, surely, and faithfully studying God's word for 40 years and being able to point out when the Concordia Seminary graduate from St. Louis got something wrong in his sermon. They really don't want that. They don't like that. 
But that's conspiratorial, and we should put the best spin on things, the best construction on it, right? I think that we've just lost our way, and we're not willing to talk about these secondary and tertiary doctrines because, well, it's a misguided attempt on keeping the main thing the main thing. Which, certainly, we do not leave law and gospel and response in our sermons. We should preach what's there in the lectionary for the benefit of the congregation because we care about them. But I digress. It is around this point in the Pia Desideria that Spanner is starting to change his tone from everything's bad, everything's bad, everything is super bad, to reassuring his readers a little bit. He's going to get into the more positive stuff later in a much more dynamic way. But he brings all of this stuff up with a change in tone that reassures us that he's still Lutheran. In his day, the doctrine of vocation was still being preached regularly. But here's something interesting that he says that informs us here in the Catacomb Synod that we must be confessional. We gladly acknowledge that we must be saved only and alone through faith, and that our works or godly life contribute neither much nor little to our salvation. For as a fruit of our faith, our works are connected with the gratitude which we owe to God, who has already given us who believe the gift of righteousness and salvation. Far be it from us to depart even a finger's breadth from this teaching, for we would rather give up our life and the whole world than yield the smallest part of it. We also gladly acknowledge the power of the word of God when it is preached, since it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who has faith. Romans 1 verse 16. We are bound diligently to hear the word of God, not only because we are commanded to do so, but also because it is the divine hand which offers and presents grace to the believer, whom the word itself awakens through the Holy Spirit. Nor do I know how to praise baptism and its power highly enough. I believe that it is the real washing of regeneration and renewal in the Holy Spirit, Titus 3 verse 5, or as Luther says in the Catechism, it affects forgiveness of sins, delivers from death and the devil, and grants, not merely promises, eternal salvation. Not less gladly do I acknowledge the glorious power in the sacramental, oral, and not merely spiritual eating and drinking of the body and blood of the Lord in the Holy Supper. On this account, I heartily reject the position of the Reformed when they deny that we receive such a pledge of our salvation in, with, and under the bread and wine. When they weaken its power and when they see in it no more than exists outside the Holy Sacrament in spiritual eating and drinking. While I adhere with all my heart to every one of these teachings of our church and bear witness to them with my lips, and find more pleasure in the writings of Luther than in any other author, precisely because there is more of these teachings there, I cannot deny that the great mass of people who also call themselves evangelical have other opinions and notions of the matter which are contrary to our teaching and the confession of 
the church. What is Spanner getting at here? We are still Lutheran. Everything that Spanner brought up there you can find in the Augsburg Confession and in the Small and Large Catechism. We still hold to the five solas. We still hold to the Book of Concord with a quia subscription because it is a correct interpretation of the Word of God. If you don't have that doctrinal anchor to pietism, if you are not a confessional pietist, then your pietism isn't worth a hot bucket of puke. Do you understand? Without something anchoring this drive to be pure before God, this desire to be pious and to do good because he has saved us, without an anchor point in the Lutheran confessions, which ultimately is an anchor in the word of God because the Lutheran confessions are just bringing up what the Bible says, well, eventually you're just going to go off in the weeds and make yourself a new denomination. And none of us, according to the flesh, are so wise and clever as to make a whole denomination from scratch that just so happens to be awesome and biblical. This is why the radical pietists, those who decided to break with Lutherans, they ended up kind of embracing uh, works righteousness. They might not put it that way, but they do those little silly hat tricks that you hear about, like, well, you want a living faith, not a dead faith, and sure, you're saved by faith alone, uh, truly, you're justified by faith alone and everything, but you want it to be a living faith, and if you want it to be alive, you have to do good works. So here's what really reassures you that you are a good Christian that will go to heaven. Trust in your works. Well, okay, why don't I just go back to the Roman Catholic Church? Why not go be an Eastern Orthodox or a Muslim or something and try to earn your salvation on the hamster wheel just like everybody else that rejects the gospel? Like, go ahead, dude, leave. But you're not clever enough to say that you got the inside track with Jesus. Lord knows the Roman Catholics would have a better claim to that than you because they have nerdy monks studying for 20 hours a day and writing big fat theology books. And this circles back to the deacon who was asking about how, look, we all have the same Bible. How come there are all these different denominations, especially in the United States of America? Well, the answer to that is they do not have an anchor that respects the teaching office of the church. Tradition is still important. A lowercase t tradition, not the capital T tradition. You still have a teaching office that must be fulfilled according to the gift and calling of God, per Ephesians 4. The Book of Concord, the genius of it is some of the best and brightest theological minds got together and compiled all of these documents that are an accurate interpretation of Holy Scripture, which means that with a quia subscription, you can say, look, that's my magisterium, that book right there. Ultimately, everything comes from the Bible, all of our doctrine, all of our morals, our whole faith is given to us by Holy Scripture, inspired by the Holy Spirit. But as God has established a teaching office, we have a lot of that fulfilled with the Book of Concord. Now, I cannot stress this enough. We are still sola scriptura 
Lutherans. The Bible is the final word. The Bible is the origin point. If you are reading Lutheran dogmatics textbooks and our Lutheran confessions more than you read the Bible, you're doing Christianity wrong. And besides, we are also careful to avoid the weird position that's been cropping up in response to radical Lutheranism that I almost want to call it Book of Concord inerrantism, where they'll say that, well, you got to agree with every single teaching and every single syllable, no matter what, of the Book of Concord, because it is holy and protected from error. But don't you dare say that I'm putting it at the same level of Scripture, because categorically that's not what it is. It just happens to have no mistakes whatsoever. Well, no, sometimes the writers in the Book of Concord get a couple things wrong. They make grammatical errors. They cite incorrect verses. There's some uh, German etymology hijinks that Luther gets into where he thinks that the German word for God comes from the German word for good. Like, that's at its root, and he, like, praises the German people for it. And I think he's just wrong on that one. It's okay to say that and to still say that you are a confessional Lutheran. That doesn't violate the quia subscription, which, by the way, quia just means because. I subscribe to the Book of Concord because it is a faithful and accurate interpretation of Holy Scripture. Liberal Lutherans like to say quatenus insofar as, which means that they can throw the whole book in the trash but still pretend that they subscribe to it, they just disagree with all that other stuff that they never quite specify as to what was wrong. I digress. The point of the matter is, it's not Bible, but it is accurate teaching on the Bible. It is accurate interpretation on the scriptures. And even if there are some errors in it, which I believe that there are, that doesn't mean it cannot serve as that anchor point for what defines Lutheranism. And for Spanner, he was saying, listen, I'm not giving that up. I'm not going off and making my own denomination here. I am simply saying that all that stuff in the Book of Concord that comes from all the verses in Holy Scripture, all this teaching, you got to mean it. The Augsburg Confession when you read it and you look at the new obedience and you look at the place of good works in it, when you look at the formula of Concord, it's a pietist document when you actually read the original pietist writers like Spanner. It's valuable for that. And Spanner's merely pointing out, you gotta mean it. Pietism started out as Lutheranism that means it, that lives it. I know that I've gone on this rant before, but it bears repeating. Confessional Lutheranism that stays just in your head, just in your academic understanding of it, ends up becoming some sort of pseudo-gnostic, dry clericalism. This is where a lot of the confessional Lutheran churches are going, and it is eating them alive. But the pietistic churches out there that are not anchored to something like the Book of Concord, they're going off in the weeds. 
they're suffering the same fate as all those churches in the United States that got started by somebody that said, I'm going to just do DIY Christianity. I'm going to sit under a tree. I'm going to read the Bible. And I'm going to do all of theology from scratch, paying literally no attention to the teachings of the church for the past 2,000 years. You've got a head. You've got a heart. You need both. Our subscription to the Book of Concord, our confessionalism as the Catacomb Synod, serves as the head here. This tells us where we're going and shows us our boundaries so that we don't step wrong. It points us to the Word of God that is the lamp and the light unto our path and our feet. We look and we see where we are going. But the beating heart of pietism prevents us from letting all these corrupt conditions slip in because we think if we just have the right doctrines, if we just have the right theology, we're okay and we don't have to let the Bible transform who we are. We don't have to let the Holy Spirit change the very fiber of our being as he sanctifies us. We can just go to church on Sunday and then... Uh, separate the sacred from the secular the other six days of the week. I have heard endless complaints from guys saying, oh, all these Lutherans around me have been going to a good LCMS church, but the moment Monday rolls around, it's business as usual, and they're screwing guys over at the car dealership, and they don't seem to care. And their kids, oh my goodness, their kids are just living like hell because these people aren't catechizing them. Yeah. Because your pastor's not teaching you the doctrine of vocation, you have an artificial separation between church and state applied to the individual. You said, there's the church bubble, there's the rest of my life bubble, these two shall never meet except when I need help from the church bubble to fix the problems I create in my normal worldly life bubble. We're here to fix that. Next week, we're going to start talking about Spanner's dreams, his vision for a church that actually obeys God's word. And powerfully, he talks about the possibilities here, and we are invited to dream big as well, because we worship a big and strong God who can accomplish all of these things through us. But until then, our Lord bless you and keep you. Amen and amen.